I hope that you notice the inserts in your bulletin when they are there. Uh, this week and last week both there were inserts related to Sanctity of Human Life Week, uh, related to the uh, uh, just choosing life over death and specifically thinking about the, uh, the abortion issue, which uh, January 22nd, just Friday, was the anniversary of the infamous Roe v. Wade decision. Uh, if you read my Grace Notes article, you know that I made the comment, this is the first time in I cannot remember when that I did not bring a Sanctity of Life sermon only the last Sunday or this Sunday. Last Sunday was officially the one celebrated as Sanctity of Life Sunday, and uh, but this Sunday fits well. I just do that. I just feel that strongly about that. I think we are, it's an important issue that we sometimes as a church uh, kind of become soft on and kind of would rather just not think about. And I want us to think about it uh, because that decision uh, back in the early 70s has brought about an attitude shift, a, a literal culture shift in our nation that has brought about a whole culture of death. We value death more than we value life. Uh, for the most part in our culture today and so I really feel strongly about that but this year I didn't do that I didn't preach I was we just gotten started in Hebrews and last Sunday was the second sermon this is the third sermon I said no I do not want to break it that early and so I didn't uh, so I'm giving you my mini sermon now you pray about that you think about that and, and today the the insert is provided by a ministry that we support here in Somerset the AIM Pregnancy Center uh, and who deals with uh, women and young ladies all the time with crisis pregnancies. And uh, I encourage you, if you're looking for a place where you can give some hours and, of ministry during the week, uh, that you just need a, a new place to minister, I encourage you to consider AIM because that's a tremendous ministry to our neighborhood, our community, our city, and uh, I would encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, since I didn't do it on Sanctity of Life Week, we'll probably, you'll probably get one before long, just out of time, out of season as it were but we'll talk about that because that's an important subject. It may even come up in Hebrews. Who knows? Okay, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Today we talk about Jesus being greater or above or more superior to the angels. Or as your bulletin says, we're going to consider Jesus, the reigning Christ, above the angels. Okay? So we have a little geometry today. We'll talk about some geometric figures and some angles. And uh, I want you to know, Sue didn't type that in. I did. Somebody didn't proof it very well, but I typed it in. So uh, it's my typo, my error. error. And, and we're really not going to talk about Jesus superior to the angles today. Although I guess there's a way we could probably twist that and use it and say that he is superior even to the angles. But we want to talk about him being superior to the angels. So reverse the E and the L in your own mind. Angels are in. Have you noticed that? I mean, they are in today. All you got to do is walk into a, uh, especially a Christian bookstore, but even a secular bookstore in many cases, and you will find books, and you will find trinkets, and you will find little statuettes, and you'll find all sorts of things, jewelry and everything else, celebrating these winged spirits. They're everywhere. I just did a quick search uh, this morning, just sort of as an aside, uh, thinking about this, on Amazon.com, which is a regular haunt of mine on the internet. And I went to Amazon, and I just put in the name, Angels. And I got 50,000 plus hits just in the, uh, 
just in the books area. I just I narrowed it just the books. Fifty thousand plus books with the name Angel, uh, the word Angel somewhere in the title. Oh, there were some interesting ones there that I just saw uh, real quickly. They had they had healing with the angels. I, I don't know what that's all about. They had walking with the angels, getting to know your guardian angel, the angel's guide to personal growth, and my personal favorite, messengers of love, light, and grace, colon, getting to know your personal angel. Well, all of those titles sound really kind of clever and, and kind of nice. They just have one problem. They don't have a lot of biblical uh, resources behind them to support them. As a matter of fact, most of what we see about angels today, most of the pictures, most of the, most of the jewelry, and, and I, I'm not seeing anybody, but I've got a feeling some people are going to want to go like this. you probably got one on. And, uh, you know, they, they, they don't look like anything like what the Scripture defines. Uh, they're not like anything that would just wow you and bowl you over and even cause you to fear. They, were glor they are glorious beings when they manifest themselves. They are glorious beyond words. But every single angel in the scripture, every single one, has a male name. Every single angel you see in bookstores and in jewelry are what? Female. Yeah. I mean, there's this, this confusion that if an angel's good and sweet and kind and all that, and, you know, protection, it's got to be a woman. I mean, I, I guess that's the feminization of our culture to some degree. But, but all the angels we see are women. They're, they're, they're beautiful and they're, they're stunning with flowing blonde hair and, and all the rest. But in Scripture, the depiction of angels are they are more like warriors than they are beautifully winged fairy godmothers. They're like warriors. They come to, to fight battles. They come to destroy enemies. They come to protect from enemies and protect from strongholds and, and to set you free. And so an understanding of angels really has to be a more biblical understanding than what is our cultural understanding today. Now I doubt seriously, I hope anyway, that if you're even sitting there with an angel uh, pinned to your uh, dress or on a chain around your neck or sitting in your windowsill at home. I, I hope the problem is not that you have them there because you're worshiping them. That you somehow see them as a, a mediator between you and Christ or between you and God and, and you pray to them. Although that was a danger in the days of the writer of the Hebrews. They had elevated the angels to a point where they saw them as important intermediaries between God and man that they saw them almost like some see the saints today, that, that they have to stand in between us and Christ in order for our message to get there. And, and in our own day and time, you'll find that many people sort of view the angels that way. They sort of look at them and think that must be what it's like. But biblical truth about angels is quite astounding. It's, it's true that they are great. It's true that they are even higher than man. Man is a wonderful creation, higher than the plants and the animals and all other material creation. But these created beings, these angels, have been crea created a little higher than men, according to Scripture. Just one allusion to that that gives us some understanding is found in even the book of Hebrews that we'll look at in a couple of weeks in chapter nine, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 9, where it talks about Christ humbling himself and Christ's incarnation. And we said, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. 
That is, when he took on his incarnate body, when he became a human being, he humbled himself and brought himself a little lower than the angels in this hierarchical form that we understand from Scripture. But the biblical view of angels is that they are important, they're mighty, they're strong, and they're, they're not God, they're not divine beings, but they are powerful, holy, and they are wise in many ways as they minister to and minister around God. Scriptural references have them surrounding the throne of God flying. Some of them have uh, six wings are described. The seraphim of Isaiah chapter 6 says they fly around with six wings. And, and at, at times they use two wings to cover their eyes and two wings to cover their feet. And the other two they fly. I assume that at other times when they need the power and the speed they fly with all six. But they are powerful, wise, and holy beings. There was one time there were more angels in heaven than there are now. According to scripture, there was a certain group of angels led by Lucifer uh, who decided that he wanted to sit at the right hand of the Father. He wanted to be second in command only to God. He wanted to be like God. And because of his pride, he rebelled and he took a group of angels with him. And those angels fell from heaven and were cast out of heaven are now demonic beings for which hell has been prepared and is waiting on and they will be cast in for all of eternity. Angels are real. The writer of Hebrews believes that angels are reality. The Old Testament writers believe and know that angels are reality. As a matter of fact, there are 108 references to angels in the Old Testament and 165 references to angels in the New Testament. There's no doubt about their existence and about the reality of angels, and we need to understand that. Their appearance, we've already touched on a little bit, but they are spirit beings, but they have some kind of form. They're not exactly like God in being a spirit being. We talk about God being a spirit, we can't see God. He is invisible to us because of his spiritual nature. Angels are spiritual, angelic beings, but they take on form. It seems that they can, they're capable of taking on forms of different types at different times. Hebrews 13.2 says that be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And, and so evidently they can take on a human form. They can appear to be human at times and bring about ministry. Angel, there was an angel at, uh, that appeared at the resurrection of Christ in Matthew chapter 28 and we see him sitting on the stone that had been thrown uh, rolled away and Matthew describes him like this he says his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men the angel appeared as a dazzling brilliant glory to announce that Jesus Christ had arisen from the dead you also have to understand something about their creation uh, angels are who they are, created by God. They appear to have been created simultaneously with other created things. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 talks about how he created all things, high powers and principalities. Those are other names for angels and angelic beings. That he created those at the creation. Angels did not evolve and angels do not procreate. Uh, Jesus, when asked by one scholar or one of the, the uh the lawyer said, well, here's this man and this woman. They've been married to other people. Who will they be married to when they're in heaven? And Jesus said, when they're in heaven, they'll be like the angels. They'll neither marry nor give in marry. They won't be married in heaven because the angels don't marry. They don't procreate. They don't produce other angels. 
we have the angels that we have that are there, that will always be there. They are eternal beings in the presence of God. I say eternal in the sense of from their creation, they never cease to exist according to Scripture, not eternal in the same sense of God that they always have been. They are created beings. One little thing I'd like to dispel here, I sometimes like to dispel, I want to dispel it at funerals, but I, I never have the nerve to do it. But I, I've been to funerals before, especially of children or babies that died in, in infancy. And, and a pastor or perhaps someone else giving a eulogy will make the, make the statement such as this. Well, this little one has died and because of his death or her death, there is now a new angel in heaven. That's not true, folks. Babies that die, children that die, may go into the presence of God, but they go in the presence of God as human beings. They don't go in the presence of God as angels. They don't become angels when they get there. God created them with all their unique identities. Each angel is a direct creation of God, standing in an immediate personal relationship to the creator that made them. Things, human beings do not become angels. Clarence was not a biblical angel. I, I hate to break that to you, it's my favorite Christmas movie. It's a wonderful life. But Clarence is not a biblical angel. There is no evidence that someone dies and goes to heaven and then when they come back to help somebody out, when they help someone out and a bell rings, they get their wings. I love Jimmy Stewart, but he is a lousy theologian. Great actor, great person in many ways, but a lousy theologian. No, Clarence was not a biblical angel. Angels don't get wings when you hear a bell ring. I meant to bring a bell and ring it, and I forgot to bring it with me. It just doesn't happen. They are created, specific, direct creation of God Almighty for specific purposes which are His and for His glory alone. So why does the writer, I mean, from the very outset of this book, I mean, he doesn't go to the atonement first being and Christ's atonement being greater than the sacrifices first. He, he doesn't go to Christ being greater than all the feasts and the festivals and all the rituals first. He starts out by saying, Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is above the angels. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read starting verse 4 through verse 14. Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute, but some cults have taken that verse and said, ah, so Jesus is not an eternal being. He, he became better than the angels, not was better. We'll talk about that in a minute. For to which of the angels did he ever say? That is, did God ever say, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And, the, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers as a flame of fire. But the, of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is, is the scepter of his kingdom. And, and you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you 
with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will, and they all will become like an old garment, like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits? sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Now, what the writer here is doing is he's stringing together in sort of a, I guess you could call it a proof texting, but not totally a proof text. It's almost like I would read a text to preach a sermon. We talked about in the first message how this has a lot of sermonic qualities to it. It looks a lot like sermons. That you, you have this and the, you have these... Uh, these uh, texts that are strung together, these passages that are strung together for the purpose of making this point very clear that Jesus is superior to, this reigning Christ is above the angels. He starts out in verses 4 and 5 by just talking about the unique relationship that Jesus has with the Father. It's a unique relationship. It said, having become much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they have. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Now as I said, some of the cults have taken this and said, oh, when I hear here's something interesting, Jesus is begotten, that, and they take that as being created or, or, or brought forth after, from having not been there and not been uh, uh, in existence. So now God has brought forth a son. This is a new creation. People will knock on your door from time to time, and if you go to the door and, and seek to talk to them or try to talk to them and let them into your house, they will tell you that they come to, to tell you the truth about God and the truth about Jesus. And if you look at them and say, well, who do you think Jesus is? In your mind, who is Jesus? And they will tell you that Jesus is a God. He is a God. He is a, 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 not the God. He's not Yahweh. He's not Jehovah. But he is a God. A little lesser God. A little, little inferior God to the God. He was a created God. He was a, a begotten being. He was a, a being that came into existence after God. But he is a God. They take that by looking at John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's no definite article in there. They said in order for him to be equal with God, as, as we interpret that, and as John goes on to make clear, that it would have to have said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was the God. But in, in Greek syntax, you don't have to have a, a definite article when there's only one subject there. And the subject in that verse is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He is a part of the Godhead. 
Now, what the writer here is talking about, begotten, I believe, and, and we could argue on this because there are several different views of this, but I believe he's talking about that he is projected or he is proclaimed as the Son, the only Son, the only begotten Son of God in his incarnation and in his resurrection and in his earthly ministry. He has proclaimed that. In the Old Testament, you have the concept of Messiah. And in the Old Testament, you have the, the, the precursor of an understanding of the Trinity. In the very beginning, God said, let us make man in our own image. There's the plurality of expression there by God when he's talking about creation. You have a, a shadowing of that which is to be full-orbed in the New Testament. We talked about last week, progressive revelation going from, from, from uh, uh, bud to bloom. And how the rose is beautiful as a bud, but it's extremely beautiful as a bloom. And in the, in the Old Testament, you have the bud of theology, the bud of truth about Christ, but you have it in full orb and full bloom in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they didn't refer to anyone in the Godhead as being son. Didn't mean he wasn't there. Just they didn't understand that. It's in his coming, it's in his incarnation, it's in his resurrection that he's declared this. He is declared to be the Son of God with power and with understanding like no one has ever had before. And so the writer here is wanting to play on this unique relationship between God and Jesus, this unique relationship between Father and Son. They are both a part of the Godhead. They are co-equal in the Godhead. There is no inferiority of the Son to the Father. He is God of God. He is the God of all creation and all that there is. But there is this unique relationship in that Godhead situation. Now, again... Don't ask me to explain to you the Trinity this morning. Even if you say, well, Bill, we'll stay till midnight tonight. Just go on and explain it to me. The, the Trinity is a mystery. How there is one God manifest in three persons is a mystery, folks. It's not, a, it's, not an, it's not something we just have to throw off because we don't understand it. It's something we believe, even though our minds cannot, maybe this is where the angles come in, we can't understand three being one and one being three, and, you know, mathematically, one plus one plus one for us equals three, but in the, in the arithmetic of heaven or the angles of heaven, it's one plus one equals one. There is the uniqueness of the Trinity that I cannot explain, but I want you to know this writer wants us to understand that Jesus Christ is the very God of God, and he has a unique relationship that no angel ever had. And in reality, no human being ever has at the same level. He is a son. So there's that unique relationship that he brings forth in verses 4 and 5. In verses 6 and 7, he talks about the angel's inferior position when compared to the son. And there he simply says, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers as a flame of fire. He says in verses 6 and 7 that the angels are inferior to the Son because they are commanded to worship the Son. They are commanded to fall down before the Son. They minister to him in his earthly ministry. You find the angels ministering to Jesus in the wilderness, in, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, temptation experience. You find the angels there ministering to Jesus and other places. 
Even in the temptation, Satan knew the power of the angels. He said, listen, in all of his temptations, when he got to the temple, he said, go up to the pinnacle of the temple and throw yourself off, and God will not allow you to even dash your heel against the ground. He will send his angels, and they will swoop down under you, and they will set you softly upon the ground. I mean, the angels are real. But the angels exist for service to God. They exist as ministering servants to primarily the Godhead, to the Father, the Son, the Spirit. They are there to do their bidding. They are there to do their work that they are sent out to do. Now they minister to believers, and we'll see that in verse 14 in a minute. But what he's wanting to show here is not so much the ministry as simply the inferiority of the position that the angels have to the Son. The third thing he wants us to see, and that's found in verses 8 through 12. There he wants us to understand that the Son is eternal. The Son is eternal. Creation is not. Now earlier I I used a misnomer, and I want to back up quickly and reiterate when I said the angels are eternal beings. They're not eternal beings. They're ever-living beings once they were created. But to be an eternal being, they would have had to have been have to have no beginning as Jesus has no beginning as God has no beginning but he's talking about here that that the that the son is eternal but creation is not verses 8 through 12 but of the son he says your throne O God is forever and ever and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom that's a quote of Psalm 45 and 6. By the way, all of these are basically out of the Psalms with, with one exception, and that comes, or two exceptions. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, 14 is there in verse 5, and Isaiah 51, 6 is in verse 11. But for the most part, they're out of Psalms. Psalm 2, Psalm 97, Psalm 104, 45, uh, Psalm 110 that, that Ricky read as our scripture reading this morning that we'll end with in just a moment. But, but he's saying here, you are, your throne is forever, your rule is forever, your righteousness is the, is the scepter of your kingdom, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above all your companions. Picture here is Jesus reigning as king on his throne forever. Nothing will be able to feed him. No one will be able to topple him off his throne. Even angels, should they desire to rebel again, or even the angels that did rebel, should they come after him, will not be able to defeat him. His throne will not be defeated. Uh, We sang a song a little earlier that I I don't always take uh, exception with some of the songs, but one of them talked about he's a coming king. He's coming to reign. I contend to you that according to the writer of Hebrews, he is already reigning. He is already on his throne. He is already who he is for all of eternity, the sovereign son of God, reigning in all of his righteousness and all of his purity. The kingdom of God has been established. Now there is the already not yet concept of it. It's already in place. God is ruling. God is reigning, especially in his church, especially among his people. God is reigning and ruler. And there is the not yet 
that was being sung about in that song that he is yet coming to show his rule and his reign and his throne to the whole creation, to the whole world. That's why Paul said in Philippians that in that day when he returns, in that day when he comes and shows himself in all of his glory, then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I, I look forward to that day. I, I want to be close to men like Christopher Hitchens or uh, Richard Dawkins, you know, the, the renowned atheist evangelist of our day. I want, I want to be, I just would like for, he probably won't, but I'd I wish God would just grant me the privilege of just being kind of close to them uh, in that day. Because I'd like to see Dawkins in all of his arrogance and in all of his pompousness humbly bow on his knees and say, you are the Lord. You are the Lord. You are God. And all that I denied, you created. All that I said just happened, you made. Now, it'll be too late for salvation at that day. It won't be too late to acknowledge. And he will acknowledge. And he will be acknowledged. The Son is eternal. Creation is not. And then finally, in these last verses, verses 13 and 14, there's just a further contrasting of the Son's status with the angel's status. But which, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they, that is the angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Only the Son, only Jesus has ever been summoned to the right hand of the Father. And this took place when he was raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Do you remember what John, James and John's mother, requested of them to Jesus? Do you remember when she went to him and he said, Lord, you know, when you come in your kingdom, can one of my sons sit on your left hand and one of my sons sit on your right hand? She wasn't just thinking, well, that'd look nice for the family picture. She was just saying, you know, it'd be, be kind of neat to be able to say, you know, there's my son James, there's my son John, and they're, they're sitting right next to Jesus in his glory. She wasn't asking that. She was asking for them to be given authority. She said, will you let them reign with you? Will you, give them the, will you give them the authority that is your authority to reign second only to you? Will you make them better than all these other apostles and all these other people in the world? Will you give them a place of absolute authority in your kingdom? And Jesus said, Woman, you know what you're asking for. You don't understand this. No one sits at the right hand of the Father except the Son. No one sits at the right hand of the Father except Jesus. To which of the angels, to which created being, has he ever said, Come, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, there's several things you see here. One is, Jesus does have enemies. 
He does have those that oppose him. He does have those who would seek to try and destroy him. You see them daily. You see them blatantly like the Hawkins and the Hitchens and, and, and the other guys like that. You, you see them blatantly wanting to do it in some ways. You see others who are just kind of subtle in their desire to, to dethrone Christ and rethrone themselves. To dethrone Christ and take authority of their own life for themselves. You, you see all the time enemies who would like to destroy the very Son of God and if they had it in their power they would do it but they do not have it in their power and God said listen there's coming a day there's coming a time when I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You can prop your feet on them. Because they will be laying prostrate before you. Son's status is that of son and that of ruler and that of sovereign king. The angels have as their purpose to carry out his bidding and to minister to him. I loved when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. You remember that, that sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 2? Just listen to it. Don't, don't turn there with me right now, but listen to what he said. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, see that? Exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Now that's a sermon I'd like to have heard. The Apostle Peter standing there declaring, Jesus Christ is Lord and God. Jesus Christ is king and ruler. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Davidic prophecies and all of the Davidic promises. Jesus Christ fulfills everything that David spoke of. Wow. There's no angel like that. There's no human being like that apart from the humanness of Jesus Christ, which he'll talk about in a later passage. And then he makes this statement. I love how he closes this out because he wants the readers to understand. These readers are struggling with this whole thing of going back to the old law, going back to the old sacrificial system. And then he says, Are they not all, that is, are the angels not all ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? I find it interesting that many times in our own day and time those who get most caught up in the angels and they wear them and put them in their house and hang them everywhere and have them on their car rearview mirrors and everywhere else 
are those who care very little about Jesus Christ. They somehow think they're like the, the people that I saw about on the news yesterday in Haiti who have done what they've done in Peru. We've talked about that in Peru, how they've, they've taken the Catholicism and they've, they've taken the, the, the voodoo religion and they've kind of melded those two together. And, and one of the voodoo witch doctors that they interviewed on news yesterday said, well, you know, right now people aren't thinking a lot about voodoo. When, this, when everything's in chaos like it is right now, they kind of turn to the high God. I like that expression, the high God. But once things settle down, they'll come back to the lesser gods of voodoo and we'll invoke the spirits and we'll invoke the, 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 the little gods of, of voodoo again and we'll, we'll go back to that and we'll call them for our service and we'll manipulate them. I mean, that's, that's the same way a lot of people do with angels in our day. Looking for my guardian angel. Scripture does indicate that angels give guardianship over believers, but there's no indication that you have your own personal guardian angel. Sits on my shoulder, whispers in this ear, don't do this, don't do that. Be careful. Turn now. Put on the brakes. I mean, there's, there's, there's no indication you got that. Angels are real. Angels are powerful. Angels go out to minister, not to everybody, but they go out to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation. It's amazing when people who have very little use for Christ get all caught up in angels. Because he's greater than the angels. He's more significant. He's more powerful. He's more important. He is above. If you're looking for an angel to save you, you're not going to be able to have, you're not going to get it. He doesn't say, they don't save. They just minister to those whom Christ has saved. So the writer of Hebrews says, don't, don't lose perspective here. Don't elevate the angels. Don't elevate the idea of these ministering spirits above Christ. Don't talk to somebody about their angel. Talk to somebody about their need for Christ. Don't talk to somebody about finding your guardian angel and knowing your personal angel, you know. Talk to somebody about knowing Christ and knowing the the true God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself as a sacrifice. Who gave Himself for you, for me, that we might live. Let's pray. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Father, we want to come to just glory in the reality of who Jesus Christ is. He's greater than the angels. As powerful as they are, he's more powerful. As wise as they are, he's more wise. As holy as they are, he is more holy. He is perfect in every respect. And He has become the propitiation, the forgiveness, the eradication of sin for those who believe. Father, help us believe. Help us walk in His truth and in His way.
Thank you, Father. Father, I pray for men and women who are here this morning that don't know you. I pray your Holy Spirit will push aside the angels and push aside anything else cluttered in their thinking and they will see the glory of Jesus Christ. Savior, Lord, Redeemer. Pray for others, Lord, who you're leading to be a part of this church family. I pray that you would open their understanding of that and that they would respond to that. Become a part of this covenant family under you. To serve you and minister in your name. Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.